Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally-focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup, gathering up what's locally happening in theatre, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and much more. It's curated by Fonda Mithrush, a veteran of Edmonton's art scene and co-host of I Don't Get It, a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Subscribe right now to the arts roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. traveled a little in our time together. Uh, a little. Not extensively. Uh, possibly more extensively than some, though. I mean, the most recent abroad trip that we took was a trip to Disney World many, many years ago. Yes. Before we had children, even. Yeah. That was kind of our last gift to ourselves before we had children. <laughs> uh, to go childless to Disney World and just enjoy it as adults. We, we went with some friends. Yeah, we had a great time. We did have a great time. Prior to that, uh, we did travel overseas. Yeah, we uh, we flew over to the Mediterranean for our honeymoon. Yeah, and we took a Mediterranean cruise. Yes, uh, on a great big boat. Yeah, the first time either of us had been on a cruise, the first time either of us had been to Europe slash the Middle East, and it was a great time. Yeah. Saw a little Spain, a little France, a lot, a surprising amount of Italy. Yeah, a, a fair amount of turkey. Uh, some turkey, yeah. A little grease. A little grease. It was a good time. And then we ended back in Italy again. <laughs> oh, yes. Again, a shocking amount of Italy on that trip. <laughs> it was lovely, though. We I... weren't trying to save the world or anything. No, goodness. We no. were just on our honeymoon. <laughs> but it was it was the first time either of us had been really overseas. Yeah, first and last time I've been overseas. Yeah, me too, actually. That is the extent of my world travels, everybody. We are, we are pretty homebound for the most part. <laughs> Uh, it takes, I mean, traveling is not inexpensive. And while we aren't necessarily destitute or living uh, hand to mouth, going on an expensive or elaborate trip <laughs> requires months of saving. Yes. And this uh, little now, podcast isn't exactly paying the bills. <laughs> and uh, now that we have two children, it, much more complicated by that as well. Oh, so, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Not, we're not exactly jet setters, but, we, but we've seen a little bit of the world. We've seen some of the historical sites. Indeed. Not all of them. No. A few of them. The ones that were in the areas we visited. Yeah, well, and we didn't see all of those even. No. We didn't go see like the Leaning Tower of Pisa or the, we didn't go to Florence and see the Statue of David. We didn't go see the Sistine Chapel. Uh, we almost got to see the Statue of David, but apparently uh, it was closed. Yeah, it was closed while we were there for renovations, I want to say, or some sort of seasonal cleanup or something. Something like that. I mean, we went on a Tuscan wine tour instead. Oh, it, and it was, was lovely. Wonderful. I'm so glad we did that, Drank actually. Drank so much wine in the hills of Tuscany. It was <laughs> fabulous. So, not exactly a wasted trip to Italy. Oh, by heavens no. Uh, at any rate, I bring it up, obviously, because in this chapter, there's going to be a little bit of, uh, or the, the beginning of a little bit of globetrotting. Mm-hmm. Nick's trouble on the plane reminded me of of your own trouble on the plane. Oh my goodness. On the flight out, 
to get on the ship, we had three connecting flights. Yep. We flew from Edmonton to Toronto, Toronto to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Barcelona. And I got airsick on the flight between Edmonton and Toronto. And then the really long stretch was from Toronto to Amsterdam. Amsterdam. It was six hours. And I didn't take care of myself in the layover in between. I should have perhaps taken an Advil or a Gravol or any of those things, thinking, oh, no, once we're beyond the ground, I'll be fine. And then I'll be okay. And then I was not fine. She was not fine. I threw up a bunch. Yeah. I went through at least two or three of those airsick bags. Nita was not having a good way. It was it was not good. So basically, I turned on an in-flight movie to listen to, cl- curled up and closed my eyes, and did my best to not die for six hours. It was uh, it was surprising and, and not a great sight. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It was it was not good. <laughs> but at any rate, before we get into uh, the flight of our heroes brief recap of chapter nine in which uh, they do a little brainstorming back at Johnny's place. Uh, Nick learns that Johnny doesn't really have a plan so much as maybe the beginnings of a plan. And they hit upon the idea that perhaps they might need to leave Edmonton, do a little globe trotting to find out exactly which gate is opening and what might be involved in trying to close it. Yes. And uh, that segues us directly into chapter 10 of Beneath the Rising by Premi Mohammed. So Nick and Johnny start the chapter at the Edmonton International Airport. (laughs) I assume. They've met with Rutger. He's got Johnny's long-abused luggage in tow. And Nick actually does have to bite down the urge to ask about his family because he assumes that they might have left on a flight moments before they arrived. Yeah, that the reason that Rutger is meeting them at the airport is because he was already at the airport. Yeah. Now, Rutger has a few issues here. He does not like the idea that they're traveling together, and he kind of firmly insists that Johnny stay home. And she kind of firmly resists that, suggesting that she can't do that. So he kind of pivots to, well, then take me with you, because I'm obviously a much more useful person than Nick is going to be. Yeah, he's Rutger's trying to reason with her here, and... Scott and I briefly discussed this last night. It's the Spider-Man problem all over again. Spider-Man problem redux. Right? She doesn't want to tell Rutger because she's worried that that will put him in danger, right? Because involving him in this crazy otherworldly stuff is dangerous. But in this case, not telling him is a different kind of problem. Because it's not so much that he can't prepare for the danger, it's that he perceives them as in danger. Well, they kind of are. Yeah. Uh, In this case, though, it's the fact that uh, Rutger potentially, and we don't know for sure, we'll get to it in a, in a little bit, becomes an impediment at this point because he's not being told what's up. Well, yes, and because he's not being told what's up, Johnny is just coming across as a petulant child. Kind of, yeah. Like, I'm doing this, don't stop me, I'm going. Just do as I tell you. Nick actually feels a bit bad for the guy because he thinks that Rutger is perceiving this as a slight from Johnny. And it's clearly not meant to be. No. Well, and it doesn't help that because Rutger is taking it as a slight from Johnny, the whole petulant child thing kicks in. And then 
Johnny like gets petulant. Johnny gets petulant about it because what Ricker says is sometimes adults have to, and she's like, no, she's having none of that. Yeah, her pride kicks in, <laughs> and she's just like, no. So then she comes across as even more petulant, yeah. right? And it just spirals out of control badly from there. Yeah, Johnny assures him they'll be fine, which might be a bit of a white lie, uh, and also says that he should just worry about making arrangements for them to be back in a few days. She doesn't expect them to be gone long. Rutger, at this juncture, does make some cryptic and slightly disparaging remarks about Nick. Yeah, And that I didn't know what exactly to make of, And, and I underscore cryptic here, because the way that I was perceiving it was there's an implication that Rutger knows something that Nick doesn't. Well, Rutger knows lots of things that Nick doesn't. Yeah, but something specifically about Nick and why he shouldn't be traveling with Johnny that Nick is unaware of. Yes. That's the implication that I was getting. Right. But because Nick is our narrator, Mm -hmm. everything we get comes through a Nick filter. So when Rutger's standing there talking to Johnny, pretending that Nick isn't there and referencing him as him in italics... (laughs) Um, I'm making a dismissive motion with my hand for some reason. It comes across as Rutger is just offended that she would be traveling with this nobody. Yeah. Right? Nick feels slighted from Rutger. He might not mean it that way, but that is sort of how it comes across. It's certainly how Nick seems to read it. Exactly. Rutger also says that he's spent many years at this juncture kind of keeping his mouth shut about Johnny's (laughs) eccentricities but that we may have finally reached a bridge that he is very reluctant to cross. He says, you know, I can probably brush off a lot of people, but if your mom calls and she's just she just shuts that down. It's like, no, especially if my mom calls. Yeah. Do not tell her anything. You will lie blatantly to my mother. Yeah. He is intuiting that she's in some kind of trouble and he's trying to help her deal with it. But Johnny just is insisting that he just keep his mouth shut and keep things quiet and just go about his business. And finally, he kind of reluctantly agrees. You can tell he is not happy about it. No. At all. No. So the duo, having left Rutger and gotten into the airport, stop for some grub, which Nick darkly jokes might be their final meals. (laughs) And they chose very poorly for their last meals. Right, and then they have that can't-help-it-friend banter again, Mm -hmm. joking about their last meal and what it should be like. And what it's actually like. Uh, trying to come up with the most expensive and elaborate thing they can think of. <laughs> it, it finally comes out to be like gold leaf and truffle moose milk cheese <laughs> sandwiches. Garnished with an entire lobster or something like that. It's a nice way to lighten up the dark mood that, oh, yeah, that Nick is usually in well, now. That, I mean, there's there's a Paul hanging over all of what they're doing right now because the fate of the world might be at stake. So Right. On that note, Johnny says their first stop is going to be in Morocco. They're going to head to Fez in Morocco. And Nick is, on the one hand, sad that this is his first ever trip abroad, but also kind of jazzed about it. Yeah. He's never been around the world. He's never left Canada. Yeah. He said. So, yeah, it's exciting because he's going to get to see someplace else in the world. And it's scary because the reason they're doing that is the end of the world. Yeah. A little later on, and this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, he's worried that his mom and his family might find out that he's traveling with Johnny. He thinks of the twins' reactions would be like, oh, he's on an adventure, it's going to be awesome. Whereas his sister's reaction might be one of, like, fear and apprehension. Worry. Well, she's also a little older. Yeah, but it's 
interesting because those are the two sides of his personality here. Those are both things that he's experienced. Yes. Because on the one hand, he is full of apprehension and a little bit of terror and uncertainty. But on the other hand, he's kind of excited that he's going on an adventure with his friend in spite of that. Yeah, because it's an exciting thing to do. Yeah. As they get close to wrapping up dinner, Johnny mentions that she can also sense that there's more magic flowing into the world. Like, it's it's actually something she can feel. And it's a, it's a nice little throwaway comment that probably means a lot. Well, she straight up says it means a lot because she says that if there's more magic in the world, Drazenoth might be able to start recruiting human agents. And if they have to be on the lookout, not just for monsters, but humans working for monsters, that increases the danger they're in by a significant amount. Yes! That is serious trouble. Uh, she also subtly points out a mysterious man in blue who's been kind of keeping an eye on them. Nick's like, I mean... You are famous. Yeah, it could be nothing. Like, you were just in the news yesterday. <laughs> like, right, um, like remember, the, remember all the paparazzi that yeah. was at the airport when I picked you up? Exactly. Like, two days ago? She says, though, and no, there's something off about this guy. There's something very suspicious yeah, about him. Yeah, he's kind of pale. and Yeah, keep keep his face in mind just in case he turns up later. And Nick's like, all right, you might be a little paranoid about this. And she's like, under the circumstances, there's no such thing as too much paranoia. And he does not disagree. <laughs> this is what I love. The actual line is, uh, nothing is paranoid, which is 100% the title of their next album. There you go. So they finally get in the air. And Nick has some stomach troubles. Poor Nick. Uh, she assures him he'll be fine. They're staying in first class. They're having a nice trip. They've got their own, like, row to themselves. They're across the aisle from each other. So they've, they've both got a couple seats. His mind wanders a bit as they set out. And having kind of thought about his stomach trouble, he actually wonders, you know, if I had died, <laughs> if I was sick and died, would she actually mourn for me? Or would she just, like, plow forward with the quest to close the gate and just finish the mission first? And he is like, we should probably do that, actually. Yeah, yeah, probably. Because her mindset has always been focused on the greater good and just letting the little details work themselves out later. Nick reminisces about the fact that she invented a survival shelter some years ago to help provide people with the necessities of life, and really not much more. Johnny considers that to be the most important element of survival. Once people have food, water, and shelter, her belief is that people can figure out the rest on their own. Once you have the necessities taken care of, you have the time and the security to figure out how to get out of the rest of your problems. And that's all lofty and good, but it's also very cold and utilitarian. Yeah, Scott wants to talk about that for sure. Yeah, because she's helping people live, but she's not helping them thrive. And the thing that really jumped out at me was that Nick refers to a metaphor that apparently Johnny has used with him before. And her metaphor is, you have to treat the disease, not the symptoms. And her belief is that by providing these people with the necessities of life, she's helping to cure that disease. They've been given the necessities, and now they can deal with all of the symptoms, the other stuff that's affecting them. Unfortunately, she's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it. she's got it backwards. Yeah, because basically the whole program here that she's done is she's been handing out these, these, these high-tech lean-tos to refugees. Well, I don't know about handing them out, but she developed them. The presumption is that they've been, they have been like issued to people oh, in yeah, need. Yeah. So refugees, um, people displaced by war and natural disasters, the likes, homeless people, 
and then she just washes her hands of them. She's like, I've, I've helped you out. We're done. Good day. And doesn't trouble herself with any of their other problems because as far as she's concerned, those aren't the disease. But the problem is they are. Because the reason that these people have been displaced or have been left destitute is because of the systemic problems that have put them in those positions. That is the warlord and the nuclear bombs and the natural disasters. And the corrupt governments and... And the racism. And, yes, exactly. And these, these are the issues that are the diseases. Johnny has mistaken the symptoms for the disease because their homelessness and their destitution are not the diseases. Those are the symptoms. Yes, exactly. The problem with her being uh, as naive as she is being as young as she is, is that she's looking at it and seeing the problem is food, clothing, shelter. Like yep. her, her problem to solve is world hunger. So the immediate answer that comes to mind when you hear that is, we'll just give them food, which is fine. But if you have a headache and you take a Tylenol, well, yeah, your headache goes away, but you don't look at, well, what caused the headache? Yeah. Right? So- She's not looking at what causes world hunger to take away the cause. She is simply seeing world hunger and providing food to make that go away. Yeah, but, and again, she's mistaken... Yeah, exactly. ...the symptom for the illness. And the reason for that is because she's seeing the world partly through her privilege. Because for her, if she has some, like, sweet nutrient paste and a glass of water and uh, a lean-to over her head, she can solve any problem. But for the majority of the world, that's not the case. No. She is tragically the exact person who is smart enough to try to be able to unravel these knots that have caused the systemic inequalities that have put these people in this place. So the fact that she doesn't want to bother with it is deeply hurtful. And again, very detached from the reality that these people are experiencing. Again, it's, it's colored by her privilege. It's the same problem that billionaires have today. You yeah. you hear about billionaires who want to solve the world's problems by building us a, a Mars colony or developing the newest, bestest electric car. And it's like, those are great. And I'm not trying to suggest that they're not lofty goals and that they might not help humanity, but they don't solve the problems, especially because the problems in many cases are systems that are in place that are benefiting you, the billionaire. Right. So you have no incentive to try to fix them. And that's kind of the case here, too. We can't cure the disease, but we're going to treat the heck out of the symptoms. But in Johnny's case, she's calling those symptoms the disease. Yes, exactly. She's got it backwards. She does. And on the one hand, Nick is, in in his describing all of this, is suggesting that she's done a good thing. And I, I don't mean to take that away from Johnny. She has done a good thing. Oh, yes, she absolutely has. But she hasn't done what she has set out to do. And she hasn't gone far enough. And the fact that she's done that and no further is, again, kind of cold and utilitarian and detached from the reality of the situation for these people. Yes. It's something that Scott feels very passionate about because we had a lengthy conversation about it last night. It really jumped out at me. And it, it has colored Johnny's character in a way that, I mean, it's not inconsistent with the way she's been described before. And Nick even called her out on, well, you're just trying to throw money at the fact that my house just got broken by monsters. Because that's all you know how to do to solve yeah. problems. And this is another example of that, kind of, in a way. Uh, kind of, just on a much different scale. <laughs> on much a much bigger scale. On a much grander scale, yeah. All that having been said, both of them nod off. And Nick has another one of his creepy sleeps. Yeah, he has a... Uh, I wrote down that he has a creepy poetry dream. 
but all of the creepy sleeps have been creepy poetry dreams. Yeah, he has another creepy poetry dream with creepy poetry that's a little bit cryptic and actually kind of pretty, but with like foreboding doom. Yeah. <laughs> and once again, he kind of wakes himself up. And at once he realizes something's off because he notices that Johnny is also awake and she is like cartoonishly alert. And in the back of his mind, his first thought is, oh, God, the monsters. But <laughs> Well, and rightly so. He looks around and all he can see is a couple flight attendants speaking in a language he doesn't off to one end. He's like, what's up? And Johnny says, when we land, the two of us are going to be taken into custody. And Nick is like, excuse me, what? And she says, we're not being arrested. We're being taken into custody, quote, for our safety. First things first, before we land, I want you to take your overhead bag. I want you to secure it to your body in such a way that it cannot be taken from you because you're carrying papers that we need to translate important stuff later. Yeah. We like, cannot lose strap it. Strap it across your body yeah. so that it can't just be removed from you. So Nick is like, oh, God, what has happened? And the first thing he thinks of is that Rutger must have reported them. Yeah, he snitched on them despite his promise not to. And that is certainly a sound theory. Yes, but that's all we have, is that it's a theory. Yeah. We don't actually know what happened. This is Nick like letting his imagination run wild. And this is like the part where he's like, oh, did somebody leak something to the press? Uh, do my Has my family found out that I'm traveling to Morocco right now? Uh, it, it all starts like, oh, God, what are they going to do to the brown kid traveling with the white girl? Like, Right? This is what happens when... A really good kid gets in trouble. Yeah, what? What? It's terrifying. What does a Moroccan prison even look like? <laughs> uh, all he oh. can think about is scenes from the Mummy. <laughs> right. He he goes way off the deep end with his, his imagination about what is going to happen to them in Moroccan jail, which they're probably not going to. Let's no, be honest. Probably not. But again, he's he's never been there. His fear response is kicking in. Right. I think he imagines himself being like chained to a wall in a dungeon somewhere. Kind of, yeah. Well, that is obviously not going to be the no, case. No, obviously not. With all of the question marks flying around, though, Nick is certain of one thing, and that is if they are taken into custody in Morocco and sent back home, the adventure has come to an end, and the world as they know it soon thereafter will come to an end. Quite possibly. And that is the end of chapter 10. Yes. So. Ugh. Do you think Rutger snitched them out? I don't know. It is hard I to say. I genuinely don't know. He is the most likely culprit. He knew what was going on. Yeah. He definitely was unhappy about the situation. And so he is the most obvious culprit. But there was also the mysterious guy in blue who they did not see board the plane with them. Nope. Does not say he might not be there, but he also could have reported them to the police or to the authorities. Or this might be the exact opposite of what Nick thinks it is. Maybe they're being uh, not arrested, I would like to point out, because Johnny said so, uh, taken into custody and being escorted somewhere to meet someone to do good things. Quite possibly. Slightly less likely. Uh, possible, but I agree. The, slightly less likely. The reason I say it's slightly less likely is only because Johnny also seems to be surprised by it. And if she was expecting to be expected there, I don't think she'd be as worried about it as she is. It's one thing to meet someone at the airport. It's another thing to be taken into custody and given a police escort somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So, hard to say. Again, Rutger does seem like the most obvious culprit, but we don't know for sure that he did. Nick assumes that he did. Yes. But Nick already has a pretty low opinion of Rutger. Right. But this is all happening inside Nick's head, right? He has, he has said none of this to Johnny to ask what she thinks happened. Yeah. 
So we don't know. We'll have to wait and see yes. in Chapter 11. Chapter 11. You'll want to read up on that in time for next week. And in the meantime, um, you know, there are a lot of podcasts that aren't big, splashy podcasts that aren't necessarily part of our network, but still are doing a public good and deserve a little bit of attention. Uh, the Edmonton Community Foundation, one of the longtime supporters of the Alberta Podcast Network, has taken a little bit of time and donated some of their own sponsor money to give some of these kind of public service podcasts, uh, a little bit of a, a shout out. And, and Nita's going to share one with you right now. Yeah, the ECF Boost. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to What's the Cheesemus? A new podcast with an inside look on the Pilipinix identity in the diaspora. Cheesemus is the tag along word for gossip. Subscribe to hear weekly episodes about disappointing your parents, breaking it to your friends that you're not Italian, trying to figure out why you punched a car, and much, much more. What's the Cheesemus is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Download it wherever you find podcasts and on whatsthecheesemus.transistor.fm. That's T-S-I-S-M-I-S. Cheesemus. Uh, you can find out more about all of our sponsor podcasts and our other member podcasts right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Those member podcasts are almost certainly downloadable on your podcatcher of choice. Probably the very podcatcher you're hearing this podcast on that seems very likely so while you're there stop by and give us a little rating and a review we appreciate it we sure do we, we're telling you right now we appreciate your time because <laughs> we do yes we would like to appreciate you directly on social media <laughs> we have the standards that you've heard me rattle off hundreds of times before twitter Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the Read Along on most of those. You can also get a hold of us via the email. We are the Read Along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For adventures in airport security, probably. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.